0: Welcome to the Azure podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji Damello, Kendall Rodin, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com, or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast.
1: Well, welcome back to the Azure Podcast. This is episode number 451 being recorded on the 11th of January, 2023, with special guest Jack Tracy. I'm Sajid, and on teams with me, we have uh, Cynthia, and of course, our special guest, Jack, who we're going to get to in just a minute. But before that, let's cover some news uh, I guess uh, you know, the holidays is a slow time for even the Azure product team, uh, so not a whole lot of news, uh, I wanna say, but still, uh, there is a few updates uh, which we thought uh, are worth mentioning, and uh, I will try to cover them real quick before we get on to the main topic here today. First up is uh, the IT Service Management Connector, which uh, is now certified with ServiceNow. So this is a, a component of uh, Azure Log Analytics and Azure Monitor. It's a facility where they can troubleshoot and detect issues with both Azure and non-Azure resources. And of course, you want to be able to plug those findings into uh, ITSM tools. And of course, now they have this connector with ServiceNow so that you could kind of raise tickets and get resol- resolution to some of those issues quickly. So that is uh, available with the Tokyo version. The other update is for uh, the Azure Data Explorer, which is a a nice way to consume and ingest a lot of data, do analytics on it. And in the past, if you had an application written in Java and typically use something for Log4j in Java to generate logs, you'd have to make another step to actually get it into ADX. Now ADX has a direct sync, which you can suck the data directly out of so Log4j can send all the, uh, the the log streams directly to ADX, uh, making it a lot more convenient to pro- to process those logs in uh, ADX. And finally, uh, my favorite uh, feature of all, uh, new new feature I should say, is called the feature clothing uh, private preview uh, by the video indexer team. We haven't had them on the call in a while. But video indexes, you know, you can provide it a video and it can kind of do kind of various analysis analytics for you in terms of uh, you know, what some of the key scenes in the video were or what people were talking about, uh, sentiments, et cetera. Now, one thing it can do now is it can analyze when there are specific uh, folks that are clearly visible and wearing certain clothing. In the videos. And the idea is that we can, you can take that information and you could surface it as advertisements, right? So you could analyze, you know, people are wearing these, this type of clothing in the video and gives you exact details about the, uh, you know, the the frame in which they, they spotted that and has to be very clear uh, in the video stream itself. And then that's made available to you in a sort of like an, a JSON file that you can download or report. And you can just kind of use that as uh, as a as an advertisement vehicle. So, other uh, pretty nice feature, and they have a nice little demo on the website there. So, we'll share that over in the show notes. All right. Well, uh, that's all the updates I have for today. Uh, let's get over to our special guest, Jack. Jack, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, why don't you give our listeners uh, a brief introduction uh, about your background and uh, what it is that you are passionate about in the Azure space. Yeah, well, firstly, uh, thanks all for for having me on the podcast. It's uh,
2: something I've been a keen listener to for, for many years, so uh, it's nice to finally be on here. Um, so I'm Jack Tracy. I'm one of our senior cloud solutions architects in our customer architecture and engineering team or CAE, as we're commonly known. Um it's a bit of a mouthful, I know, but it, it is what it is. Um, we are the team that sort of sits, uh, connects to the field, um, so, working with customers directly on large engagements, but then we also get the chance to step away and think about hey, what are the common challenges that customers are, are struggling with? What are things that we could create to help accelerate customers? Um, and as your landing zones, as we're going to talk about today, it is one of those things, right? We saw many customers try to do landing zones. There were many different ways, many different options and opinions, but we then thought hey, everybody's getting caught up on which one to select let's create the Azure landing zone or enterprise scale, it was formerly known, um, and you know move people forward. And, and I think we've been a, a great success in the last sort of two, two and a half years. Um, prior to joining Microsoft, uh, I worked in the partner space for many Microsoft partners, I've always been in the Microsoft space. Uh, and I was an uh, Azure MVP as well before I joined Microsoft. So uh, when I joined, I uh, lost my Azure MVP status, but I, I think it was a worthy uh, sacrifice.
1: That's pretty awesome. Uh, so uh, in your role, uh, what kind of, uh, you know, I guess, what kind of projects you're seeing customers coming up with these days? Like when you work with customers, are they uh, mostly infrastructure or do they have uh, building out a lot of uh, custom applications? Like w- where's the uh, where, uh, what's the area that they need help with? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair question. right? And I think if you
2: take that question into Azure landing zones that we're going to talk a little bit more about today, Realistically, it's an infrastructure thing. It's generally your IT ops. It's your your IT teams that are setting up the governance and the control frameworks and all of those things for your organization. Um, but it's really to address any application you want to bring to the platform, right? Whether that is an AKS-based application, whether that's a logging application, you know, uh, whether that is web apps or it's to a typical sort of lift and shift from on-premise, right? And it's more IaaS and VM-based we've written Azure Landing Zones to be applicable to all of those scenarios. Um, and we really think you taking a more holistic approach about let's cover the governance security requirements of the organization rather than specific services. So we see projects across all different areas is probably the the, the quick way of uh, answering that question. And then
0: Jack, I'm, I'm curious, was there like an aha moment where you felt like you've had similar and repeated conversation with each of the customers you're working with, and then you decided that it was time to put something like the landing zone together?
2: Yeah, I think that's a good question, right? Obviously, people were doing landing zones before Enterprise Scale came along, and as your landing zones came along, um, you might have been using blueprint-based solutions and templates and those sort of things that existed. Um, But I think we got to the point where we actually noticed that customers were looking for Microsoft best practices, as all customers always are and partners are, um, but they were more getting stuck at the fact that we had like maybe 10 options, say, for landing zones, right? There might have been one for healthcare, there might have been one for this, there might have been one for another sort of uh, industry vertical or slant. And actually, there's a lot of commonalities between landing zones. So what we want to um, make sure is that Customers are getting the right advice, regardless of their industry, right? These things where Azure landing zones is built to be applicable to the 80% of pretty much every customer. There will be 20% of customers that need to do something slightly different, but most customers can take every recommendation by default out of Azure landing zones and use the default implementation options to get, you know, bootstraps on their Azure landing zones journey and start putting workloads into that landing zone to, you know, go on their Azure adoption journey or migration journey.
1: You know, uh, we've done a few uh, shows in the past in the fl- same flavor of landing zones. I think there was we did the enterprise landing zones as you mentioned uh, a while back, so a good time to revisit uh, that here. But we, I think, we also did the SAP, I believe, landing zones or, or some or something like that recently. So help me understand, uh, you know, the the, the landscape for landing zones uh, in uh, in Microsoft. Like, is it? Uh, is it a unified uh, team or are there different teams working on different landing zones uh, how does that work Yeah. And this is probably one of the the greatest
2: questions. So, uh, that we can answer. So landing zones is probably one of the most overused terms inside of Microsoft. Uh, everything's a landing zone. Um, and that's both a pro and a con, right? I think because it does create some confusion. Um, but there are multiple types of landing zones. So when we talk about the Azure landing zone, we're talking around things like policies, management group hierarchy, subscription, democratization, you know, really those foundational elements that get your, um, part of the Cloud Adoption Framework Ready Pillar that get you ready to host workloads of all different shapes and sizes and types. So that's what we talk about with the Azure landing zones. Then within the Azure landing zone, we see two different types of uh, workload landing zones right so things where you're hosting your resources so we would have platform landing zones which would be things like the management subscription which hosts your log analytics workspace where all of your platform logs are sent back to you. maybe you've got a sentinel deployment in there as well your connectivity subscription which would be like your hub networking your virtual WAN, your firewalls your vpn gateways express routes all of those things and then maybe an identity subscription if you're still a customer who's using you know uh Active Directory domain services on ISVMs, or you're using Azure Active Directory domain services, and you need to put that somewhere. And then for those services, they support all of your application landing zones, right? So things where you would see your SAP landing zone deployed, your uh, Azure Virtual Desktop landing zone, you know, and we've used the term landing zone to try and keep some familiarity along the way so that you know what they are. But yeah, the Azure landing zone is sort of like, think of it as the uh, utility services that you need in a city and the application landing zones are the things that, you know, your houses, your streets, your buildings that go inside of that city, right? So that's a, a good way of anal- 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 analyzing them, uh, Analogies in them is a good, good word.
0: Great. An- analogies for them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> analogy is the word well, I Well, that's the word for it. <laughs> but... Um... Jack, I know you mentioned workload a couple of times. Can you help us define what workload means in this context? And also the other question is around, does this apply normally to Greenfield customers or how can Brownfield customers also take advantage of these best practices?
2: Fantastic question. So our, the, to address the first one, what what is a workload, right? A workload, uh, so we're going to dive down further inside of the application landing zone uh, world. And we actually have this documented on our main what is an Azure landing zone page, right? So if you want to go and read this and see what it is, um, if you head to aka.ms uh, slash ALZ, and we'll leave links in the show notes, I'm sure, um, this is all defined here, right? So it's not just my ramblings, this is officially documented. Um, so an application landing zone on which your workloads can be defined into three types of uh, additional application landing zones. So our first one is a centrally managed landing zone. So you can think of that very much as like you have a central IT team who deploy everything for you. You know, the development team, you don't really have a development team. You don't really have a team that deploys anything to Azure. They're all fairly centrally run services. So think of these like Active Directory is a good example of this, right? It's very much run by central IT. Nobody really else deals with it. It's a centrally managed sort of workload landing zone. Uh, You then have technology platforms, which is something where, you know, Sajit, you would probably play where you may have shared AKS clusters, right? So there might be an AKS specific team who look after just AKS but they don't look after management groups, they don't look after policy, they don't look after the hub network, they don't look after any of that stuff. They are purely there to run a shared AKS cluster or multiple, you know, a fleet of AKS clusters, right? Um, And then they are providing that as a service to individual teams who would then consume, you know, different namespaces and put their own containers and their services inside those shared clusters, but they don't have to worry about patching the nodes and doing all that sort of stuff. It's very much like a service to them. And then our third type is a workload landing zone. So, a workload application landing zone. And this really is where that team is in full control of what they want to deploy in there, right? So, it might be a team that go, hey, we're going to build this new mobile application that's going to use App Service and it's going to use Events uh, Bus and event, Event Grid and Service Bus and all of these wonderful services there's no real uh, control, and it's more around operational here, right? operational perspective is that the application and development team are in full control of that workload landing zone, right? They are given owner permissions on that subscription, or a certain set of individuals are given owner permissions on that subscription, and they are free to do whatever they want, but they are enforced and controlled by the policies that are applied and inherited to them from the management group hierarchy and what the platform team uh, in- implement, right? So from an organizational perspective, the business uh, requirements are being met, the security controls can be implemented at scale, but you can hand and democratize, right? One of our key principles, subscription democratisation, is we can hand those subscriptions over to the application teams to say, you know what's best to deliver your application, you're in control of your SLA to the business of dev- delivering this service, all yours go 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 crazy, but we know we've put the guardrails up so that you can't, you know, do anything silly and get yourself in trouble. In terms of the second part of that question around Brownfield, uh, or is this just for Greenfield customers? Absolutely, we have guidance on how to adopt this if you're Brownfield as well. Um, Something that I originally started writing a long time ago and we're, we're continuing to enhance that. But you can very much deploy Azure landing zones alongside and migrate into it. And because it's just management groups and policy, realistically, you can deploy it alongside in the same tenant and then move your subscriptions into the new management group hierarchy when you need to and when you're comfortable. And they'll start inheriting those new policies. But the existing resources in there won't stop working. It's not like, hey, um, say you put a policy in place in your Azure landing zones hierarchy that says, um, all the all things can only be deployed in UK South and West Europe, right? And you've got some stuff deployed in East US and East US two. And you move that subscription into your new management group hierarchy, they'll just flag as non-compliant. You won't be able to make updates to them or change them because the policy will deny them. But it's not going to stop those resources working from day one. They'll just flag as non-compliant. So it's fairly safe. And again, we've got that all documented in our in our guidance. So use the word. Time, um, oh, oh I'm sorry, go ahead,
0: Cynthia. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. As a follow up on his last comment, that with these policies, what is kind of the longer term process of should customers be taking stock of their policies on like a quarterly basis? Do these uh, best practices change in time? And how do we make sure that uh, the customers are on the latest version of what is right now the recommended practices?
2: Yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome question and uh, something that we're working on quite heavily and I would say keep everybody's eyes peeled in the coming months um, because we're just about to publish a lot of guidance on this spe- specific topic around something we've deemed like a code name internally sort of evergreen for uh, Azure landing zone. So how do you always stay up to date with the latest policy recommendations? Um, we are about to publish guidance on how to do that there is already an existing way of doing that with uh, if you're using our bicep implementation or a terraform implementation There's it's fairly easy and if you're using our portal implementation then there's obviously a few more steps because it's portal based and it's not as easy to automate but, you know, it's completely possible and we're going to be publishing prescriptive guidance on how to do that. We also publish a, like a what's new page in Azure Landing Zones in our uh, repositories wiki uh, that talks about the changes that we make. And we have a page in there that talks about all of the policy recommendations that we apply uh, and where and what scopes they're applied. So you can always have that as a reference. And finally, on that note, um, there's a really good tool in the community that's written by a, a CSAE uh, in Germany. Uh, called the Azure Governance Visualizer or asGovviz that people might have heard of, that we've actually worked really closely with uh, Julian who writes that tool. And we've now got the, we've called it that uh, ALZ policy version checker function or feature in his tool. So that you can run this Govvis tool, which scans your management group hierarchy, looks at policies, role assignments, and various other things. Highly recommend checking it out, completely free, definitely worth worth using. But that will take, all of the policies that you've got in your uh, environment, and it will compare them based on lots of different uh, comparison criteria like metadata, policy hashes of files, all sorts of things, and try and compare them to what's available in Azure landing zones by default today. And if there's anything that's out of date, it will flag them and tell you like, hey, you're on version like 1.0.0, version 2.0.1 is now available. And in the future, we'll have a link to say, and here's the guidance on how you can go and update that. But today, it will be a manual thing for you to go and work out, unless you're using Terraform or Bicep. but lots of stuff coming in the coming months in this space. So keep your eyes peeled.
1: You know, Jen, you mentioned uh, a few times uh, about uh, the policies and about the management groups. And uh, I'm assuming that those are all part of the foundational landing zones or the ones that you set up initially. So is that the most... Uh, is that the bulk of those foundational landing zones is uh, walking the user through these setting up these policies and uh, and 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 how they want to lay out the management group hierarchy, etc.
2: Yeah, I would say Azure Landing Zones at its core, right, is is really two services. It's it's a management group hierarchy and a set of policies that may, we make about, I don't know, 30 policy assignments. By default, we're just about to actually refresh our policy, so our evergreen guidance is even more important. Um, so we're about to make some more policy assignments. Um, but they are a mixture of built-in and custom definitions as well that we assign, but all of those are wrapped up into reference implementations right so we have a portal based accelerator so you literally can go on the aka.ms/alz link and you'll find a deploy to azure button there and you can follow a portal based experience answer some questions put in some naming prefixes and those sort of things And we'll spit out our reference architecture for you, including deploying the hub networking, express route gateways, all of those things, all optional, all configurable. And the same exists for Bicep and Terraform. Uh, And we'll leave the links to those implementations in the show notes as well so that people can find those. Um, But ALZ is really a reference architecture or an architecture that we say to all customers, this is what good looks like or your North Star for A platform landing zone, right? Your your foundational landing zones, as you called it there, right? And it's about how to set up that governance framework to ensure that you can move to the cloud and meet your business requirements. That they're all happy that you know security controls are being met, you know, things are not being configured on old SKUs, like classic compute is retiring. Let's put a policy in place at scale to stop people deploying it, all of those sort of things. You know, that we can then democratize those subscriptions, hand them off to our application teams and go, you know, you've got now got the power and freedom to deliver your service as you see fit. Off you go. So yeah, ALZ is a very prescriptive architecture. It's split into eight design areas, uh, ranging from your tenant configuration all the way down to how you platform do platform automation and infrastructure as code and all those things that we have lots and lots of guidance for inside the cloud adoption framework. Um, and then it's built upon sort of five design principles as well. One of them being subscription democratization. And there's a number of others that we're I'm sure we've we'll touched on throughout this. But again, they're all documented in in our guidance. So you can go and check those out.
0: Jack, I know we've been talking about how these are the best practices that the team has put together. What is your guidance around exceptions from a customer perspective, if they know that something that's very specific to their tenant or to their use case that they need to change something from what is out of the box?
2: Yeah, no, fantastic question, and actually something very close to my heart. So um, we have a set of guidance that we published about, I want to say, nine months ago now, maybe a little bit longer, called uh, Tailoring Azure Landing Zones. Uh, and it's a document that I wrote that is in uh, the, the, the documentation. So it's at aka.ms slash ALZ slash tailoring. Um, so most links uh, short links are like that ALZ slash something you think should exist probably does Um, but you'll find the tailoring guidance and it talks about really the the concepts of how an archetype is formed in Azure landing zones and what we mean by an archetype is the the binding of a management group with subscriptions within it and the policy assignments within it and really what must be true for that archetype and the workloads that live within it from a policy perspective right so what do they inherit what must be true for them to work Um, and we give you really that background about how they're constructed and a couple of examples and then we talk about safe ways that we see customers wanting to tweak it right so you might out of the box there's a a set of management groups beneath called landing zones so and then beneath landing zones there's two management groups for corp and online right uh, and really you can translate those sometimes into public and private is a good way of thinking about them from a, an archetype perspective but you may go as a business well, well hey that that does work for some of us but we actually might need more than that right we might need some additional management groups and what we're trying to teach you in that tailoring guidance is how to safely create those right because what we've seen many customers do is go down the route of creating a management group for business units and right, hey the HR team has a management group and this team have a management group and like Actually, if you step back holistically, a lot of those teams from an organizational requirement will have the same policy requirements from an Azure platform perspective, right? You'll want to enforce the same standards upon, upon all of them. So you don't need to carve those up, right? Management groups are, can be used for RBAC, but doesn't mean they should be used for RBAC. They can be used for a higher level granting access for platform teams like your security team. They need repermission on everything, perfect. Management group's a great use case for that, right? Because the inheritance, but you would very rarely grant an application team access uh, via a management group, you'd grant them access directly to their subscriptions and and even better via PIM and all of those good things that exist. Um, yeah, that's really uh, where we want people to, you know, uh, do want people to tailor, but we would say out of the box, we see most of our customers be able to take the reference implementations and the, the reference architecture as is. And then of course, right, it, I would say using that 80-20 rule again, it's probably 80% of the way there there's always going to be that 20% of customization that each organization is going to need to do, right? You might want a custom policy in place that enforces a specific tagging standard, or you might want another policy that controls the regions you can deploy to, right? All of those things, they're going to need to be uh, added on afterwards, and that's completely valid, right? We want people to do that. We're giving you, like, a, you think about a boost, right? We're giving you the big leg up. We're giving you a big boost to get going, So you can then go and, you know, add the custom little bits on top and start your cloud journey. But you could start exactly with the vanilla ALZ. And a lot of customers have done that from the telemetry we see.
1: Yeah, Jack, uh, when it comes from the foundational landing zones all the way, let's say down to the workload landing zone, which is let's mm-hmm. say as a developer, uh, as an software engineer, that's what's going to be given to me. I'm just wondering like how does all of the configuration and metadata that I should be consuming pass down in this in this um in this sequence? Like how do I know like as a developer, I should be using this network uh, configuration of this subnet or uh you know this log analytics workspace, et cetera. <laughs> Yeah,
2: so a lot of those things, and I think it's one of the benefits of Azure and its uh, inheritance scope and its various scopes, right? Even as an application developer who doesn't have permissions on the management groups or anything that, you know, where those policy assignments have been made, that means you can't amend them and you can't change them and you can't exclude yourself from them. Um, But it doesn't mean you can't not see them, right? So you can still see on your subscription what's been applied to you and where it's come from. Um, and that gives you full visibility into, hey, this is the policy that's been applied. You can even see the, the JSON definition of that policy rule. You can know. Um, And I think this is where it then comes down to how mature as an organization you've become, right? Because actually that might be a little bit of a... A a poor experience from a developer perspective, right? Say you write something, you didn't know the policies were in place and you try and deploy something and then instantly you get, you know, a response from Arm saying, hey, this isn't allowed because these policies aren't being met. So that's where it really comes down to teams building out, you know, good internal platform offerings, right? Building an internal wiki so that all your developers can go and read, maybe going to the next level of like building uh, an inner sourcing or service catalog internally that says, hey, here's a... pre-built set of modules that you can all consume and and publish but these are compliant with our organisational standards that are enforced by the policies that we have in place or actually here's the documentation that tells you the policies if you don't want to use what we've built you can go and write your own and this is where it all all exists. Um, So there's, there's lots of additional things that businesses can do and I suppose it's just how mature and how far down that path they are um i think we're we're starting to see a trend from customers starting or platform teams starting to build product lines as i would call them so like they're not treating themselves as a platform or a central it team anymore they're treating themselves as a you know a service a saas offering if you want if you will like to their own business to say hey we know that there's two or three different types of archetypes in our environment that you know we might have a corporate connected workload we might have a complete island that only uses public access we can build product lines for that for our business and document them and always make it like hey you want one of these go and you know tick this button fill out this service now form as we were talking about in the updates and it will go and create those things and that's where subscription vending comes in like how do you provision subscriptions at scale via your platform team and build that into an automation workflow and again something we've done a lot of work on something to keep your eyes peeled because there'll be some more announcements on very shortly and I know we'll probably come back and talk on this show if we, if you'll have us back um, but you know lots of things there around that vending and building product lines is is very important but most importantly just documenting it and making sure it's available that everybody can
1: see it. Yeah, definitely. We want to get you guys back, talk about all those uh, new updates. Uh, but I'm just uh, like, maybe if I may ask one last question here, uh, is if, if somebody listening to the show and uh, you know saying, OK, this is something we should consider. We should take a look at these things. It sounds like a lot, right? I mean, uh, all these landing zones, uh, it's obviously deep technical stuff. From the customer perspective, what is the level of expertise they need or they should have? To be able to uh, consume this, uh, these landing zones, these templates, uh, etc., in a meaningful way. Do they need uh, like a team of you know cloud architects or, or cloud engineers or SREs or whatever uh, to, to consume it, or is the uh, you know the I guess the uh, bar to entry a, a little lower?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think this is a really great thing that we've done. Right, so we started off with a portal implementation uh, experience which I would say you could be level 100, right? If you can use the Azure portal, you can use our portal experience, right? And that will get you going. And then on top of that, we've built Bicep and Terraform for those customers that maybe I would say Terraforms are most advanced because you need to know Terraform and you need a bit more skills there around state management and all those things. Um, But again, it's a very easy module to use and very powerful and and has a lot of usage based on the stats that you'll see in the HashiCorp registry. Our bicep implementation is probably somewhere in between both right and we we wrote our bicep implementation with when bicep was first being published but with that uh it pro mindset sort of in mind so that hey i'm not a developer i don't understand what you know a data construct is i don't know what an array is i don't know what an object is i don't know the difference between an int and a string but we've made Bicep because Bicep is obviously a lot easier to write than ARM templates were, but we've written it in such a way that people who are IT pros should be able to look at the templates. They can just change the parameter files and do the very bare basics to get the default deployment. But if they want to, they should be able to read the Bicep code. And we have seen many customers do this. And that's been told because a lot of our community have contributed modules back to the open source project which means they obviously understand and can and read and understand our styling and how we're trying to address this so i would say bicep somewhere in between but if you're like level 150 200 and you want to get started with doing infrastructure as code which we see a lot of customers starting this journey wanting to to start on the right foot biceps a good option there but if you're a terraform house terraform is absolutely just as easy you just need to know the terraform pieces as well
1: that's great Sounds good. So it sounds like this should be pretty easy to pick up uh, and consume. That's great. And
2: if it's not, raise an issue on the repo, right? We we want to hear from people, right? Exactly. We, we want to hear, but we know that this, you know, roughly this is getting deployed multiple hundreds of times a day um, via the portal experience in different tenants. So that's proof that you know these things are doing great things um, and they're easy to consume. So yeah, if you uh, if you are struggling or having a huge, feel free to raise an issue. You may see my name reply to you.
1: That's awesome. Well, Jack, thanks so much for all this uh, detail today. I think it was very helpful, it certainly uh, clarified in my mind, all the confusion around the various landing zones and uh, uh, and what we're trying to do here. I think it's, uh, it's a great service and uh, uh, looking forward to other updates from you. Cynthia, anything else for Jack before we wrap up here?
0: Not from me. It's been really helpful. Thank you, Jack.
1: Well, no uh, we'll get some, uh, some of the links from you and we'll put them in the show notes uh, right after this. Well, great talk to you, Jack, okay, as always. No, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.